Hello and welcome to Bullet Points Extra. I'm your host, Edward Smith. I'm joined as ever by... Do you want me to say my name? Yep. I am the half-breed werewolf, Warren Zevon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that game, that, that song really should have been in this game. You're Reed McCarter, by the way. Uh, but that, that song really should have been in this game. If every game was crying out for Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. It was this game set in London wherein you fight werewolves. Uh, yeah. A, a bit on the nose, maybe. A touch, <laughs> perhaps. Uh, then again, I suppose you could have put that song in An American Werewolf in London, and they didn't either. Warren Zevon must be furious. He's like, <laughs> all, the, all these werewolf London IPs out there in the world of film and game, and no one has ever licensed his Werewolves in London song. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure he was too concerned about the order. 1886 released in 2015. Um, I think roughly a decade following his uh, his death. I, I thought he was still alive. Unless uh, unless we're getting into ghost theory now that the <laughs> cool autumn air is blowing in my window. So. The first question that we're going to address on this podcast about the Order 1886 is whether or not the ghost of Warren Zevon <laughs> would have been angry that his song wasn't used in the game. And so we are uh, we are meeting here, and Ed and I are actually recording in person this time, and we are sitting at a table holding hands, and there's a single candle in the middle, and we're going to speak to the ghost of Zevon now. Warren. <laughs> Like the worst fucking sequel to Insidious <laughs> ever. The worst paranormal activity film was that one where they tried to contact Warren Zevon to ask him questions about the Order 1886. Paranormal Activity 12. Oh no, do you hear co- the. Co- colon Zevon. Do you hear the piano in the parlor? It's playing the, it's playing the hook from Werewolves in London over and over again. He's here. Okay. I can't even remember the hook now. It's a it goes. Let's start talking about the game. This is yeah. This is anyway, um, wretched. All frivolity aside, uh, the Order eighteen eighty six is a two thousand fifteen game made by Ready at Dawn, a studio that was formed by former Naughty Dog employees, as I understand it. You play Galahad, the uh, a member of a secretive order of protectors and knights who operate in London to battle what the game insists on calling lichens or aka werewolves um, that's the plot we all get it, we've all played it well, I can assume you've played it if you're listening to this show the interesting thing about it one of, is that it was not a well loved game it was a game that was tarnished with a lot of the usual game review superlatives disappointment too short waste of money things like that and I feel that for a lot of game critics it calcified or not personified but captured and and, um, catalyzed a lot of feelings about where game criticism was at at that point and how we actually talk about games and whether or not it needs to change but I also think that it, it it illustrated some problems with what we expect in games. 
I wonder if the response to the order eighteen eighty six is as worth talking about as the game itself. Reed, what do you think about all of that, well, I as think well as the game in a general sense? I like the game. I don't think it's some masterpiece or anything. I think it's a, I think it's a good, good piece of genre fiction. That's silly, but it's also, you know, uh, takes itself just seriously enough that you can kind of get behind what it's doing. Um, I, I think the reception, its reception, shows a lot of. I don't know. I, I don't know, because there are really fair reasons to just not like this game. You know, that that I, I can completely see. But a lot of the reviews... I went back and, and read a few from a few different places, and it was just... The stuff that they were said about was so... Besides the point, it seemed. Like, knocking the game for being something that it was never going to be. That it, that it has no intention of being. You know, not talking mm. about whatever failures of of the story of or of the uh, design of this sort of straightforward, you know, shooter that is really intent on on showing you uh, this story for better or worse. You know, they're criticizing it for saying it, it's, you know, it, it only takes seven hours to beat or whatever, and it's uh, you're walking down narrow paths the entire time. Um, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have anything to go back to you yeah. know it's it, to me that's just it's wild I, I don't understand mm. why you would uh, I don't understand why you would go into it and, and you know I, I think there was one that said you know this is this is 2015 now games aren't made this way anymore and I thought well who are you to say that <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> you know why, why why can we not have this game I, I mean and yeah. we've talked so much over the you know length of time of doing this podcast about I think we're on the same page of I kind of like games that are you know not all the time I don't want every game to be like this but I like a game that is uh, sort of pointing you down the path it wants you to take and it's it's you know uh, willing to do whatever it wants to to tell its story in the way it wants to tell its story and, and does not need to make concessions that aren't fitting to what it is uh in order to make the player feel like, um, you know, pumped up and, and like they're the king of the castle. And I, I don't think, you know, I, I think this game appeals to me somewhat in, in some of that way. It's, it's you're in and out when you play this game. It's, you load it up, it's makes clear what its priorities are from the first, you know, 10 minutes you play it. And then that's, that's kind of what you're doing the entire time. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's, um, there's so much to appreciate about it. It's, um, just like the the way its world is constructed, you know, the the music and the visuals I think are honestly really really beautiful and maybe more beautiful than what the game itself is kind of deserves. But I don't know. I could, I could go on for a long time about the the things I I really like about this game, and I, I think it's a shame that it maybe got as much. You know, I, I think it's destined to more so than even like a Kane Lynch two, which will, you know, or Far Cry two or something, or these games that I think will live on because they'll be rehabilitated by people being unable over time to to ignore what they were accomplishing. I think this game is much easier to ignore because its accomplishments aren't as aren't as great, or they're all kind of couched in these different caveats about this being a game about fucking Knights of the Round Table killing werewolves mm. in 
Victorian England, you know. Um, yeah. I feel like if I started to talk myself about the response and what it said about critics' expectations or player expectations or just cultural, as in within game culture itself, expectations of games, it'd be more me going on a oratory trip as opposed to anything useful. I think that the response to this game is actually quite self-explanatory or self-evident. People, the, the expectations for games are, are still couched in, I think, a fairly immature understanding of art or, or expression or authorship or just making something, and also in consumer rights and consumer satisfaction and, and getting what you pay for you know I, I in a really in a really quantifiable sense I feel like people's expectations of games are, are couched in getting your money's worth in the same sense you get your money's worth if you buy you know a, a, a five piece garden set uh, so people saying it's not long enough that that to me is just a, a, not even a shockwave because it's still it's still happening but it's just a you know, it's, it, it just illustrates where we're at in the sense of we still think of games as electronic, like consumer electronics, like a smartphone or a laptop. You want to get all the features that you'd expect from a, a big game in a box. They're supposed to have, you know, 4,000 megapixels and 32 times zoom and things like that. And talking about the, the linearity and talking about, like, that, that word even bothers me these yeah. days. Yeah. You know? Well, because it's become it's just it's it become uh, pejorative every time it's used. It, and, it's the fact that it's pejorative. Why? It it's the fact that it's pejorative, and also the fact that it's. I don't. There's there's a lot of categorizing goes on in video games. You right. Know, there's a lot of there's a lot of generic. What genericizing, generic sizing, you know, if, squeezing things into categories and genres and easy descriptors. So we have to describe games as as linear or open. And I, I, I you know, I wish that binary didn't exist. Basically. Um, well, I mean, I w- oh yeah, I mean, like if you and if you do that, I think the danger you can see with this one too is if you uh, want to take that traditional route and say that this is a linear third person action adventure game with cover shooting and light platforming right yeah. there there's your your industry categorizations for this game and then you would say it's not as good as gears of war or uncharted you know those, right. those games are much better in all other ways but that's also not what this game is you know it it certainly has all those things it's you can tell very quickly it's not what its its priorities are not about um uh, a thrilling sense of adventure all the time. It's it's trying to do something I think quite different, a lot more sort of reserved. What's frustrating as well about those terms is not just that they tempt a reductive description of a game like this or of other games like this. Not that I think this is a terrific game, but that those those terms do prompt a reductive description. They also allow the person making that reductive description to sound knowledgeable because they've got the jargon so to be able to say something is third person cover shooter linear platforming elements collectibles it sounds like this is somebody who's played a lot of games and can identify games quite well but actually those those terms don't really tell you much about 
something like the order or something like a lot of different games i feel like it's um, the inverse now and and you i i mean i i agree with you completely but i also you know i and i think you start seeing this at like you know peek behind the curtains at some more style guides that you you encounter as a freelancer now are are saying don't you know don't use the jargon unless you absolutely have to which i think is very wise that you uh i think it, it's it makes you sound less informed if you're just saying okay where does this slot into all these different i don't know i i feel like those style guides are worried more about you sounding niche as opposed to stupid they don't alienate people who maybe haven't played games you know i i mm. when you start talking about third person cover shooting what you sound like to me is that guy in the the television or the, the washing machine or the camera shop who is excellent at his job and can tell you the the characteristics and the aspects and the specifications of all the devices around him um, and it's maybe intimidating because you just want to know what's good <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, like the guitar shop experience yeah right yeah yeah so uh, what bothers me about those terms and the usage of those terms is that they volunteer a kind of this guy seems like he knows his his business but it it I don't find them used in, in writing that to me it seems very knowledgeable or that it seems to have like a, a heart or a soul. I'm, I'm going off the rails my point is um, you can talk a long time about the, the reception to the order and I just did I actually agree with you though that it's not it's not a wonderful game I, I, I enjoyed it, I found it fun yeah, and I, and I know that that's you know that's that's a game review <laughs> favorite buzzword. You know that that's that's number one. Um, but I really did like in a in a genuine sense. I, I found it a fun experience. I I, I enjoyed playing the order eighteen eighty six immensely. I didn't want it to finish, but I was quite glad. You know, gratified what it did. Um, but whether it's one of those games, you know, you mentioned Kane and Lynch and Far Cry Two. Far Cry Two is one I've my enthusiasm for that game has lessened a little bit since I first started you know, taking up the sword and shield for it. But yeah, I don't know whether the Order 1886 is is going to endure in the contrarian heart as much as some of those other games. And I wonder why. Oh, I, I, th- I, I, I think it's because it's not a very thematic... <laughs> Here we go again. I think it's because it's not a very thematically or, or narratively dense game. It's not a game where it's easy to say this is what it's about and Actually, you know, you when you first played this game, you thought it was a short and trashy or short and whatever. But it's actually really about dot dot dot, and I, you miss that interpretation. I will. I, don't find that I will weird. say that you can do that with this game, very much so. But I think people would buck against it. Uh, I would do it anyway because I'm an asshole. But I think, I think there's a lot going on. Uh, you know, trying to make certain sort of fantastic elements stand in for other things in this game that I definitely want to talk about with you in this episode but I think are I think at the end of the day you you also have to reckon with the fact that these are uh, you know the the big twist in this thing is like vampires showed up you know real real vampires (laughs) and Mm. you know I I think the silliness of this game is always going to be maybe too too insurmountable See, I don't think of it as insurmountable because I don't think of it as a problem. I, 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 I think of this game as thematic or narrative or political, but only in the extent to the extent that any and every game might be. 
it doesn't seem to me like a an, an especially thematic thema- an especially thematically interesting or especially narratively interesting game my feelings towards you know trying to justify on those grounds are, uh, are, are again couched more in just trying to prove other people wrong you know I, I'd like to be able to convince people that the Order 1886 is actually a really really substantive and worthwhile story that if you look closely is about XYZ but I'd be thinking more I just want to make those people who disregarded it for the wrong reasons I, look wrong themselves I don't feel that way I feel like when I no I'm not saying you do but that, that, that would be yeah, yeah. I, I, I wrote an article to that effect I wrote an article a few years ago or maybe maybe a year and a half ago where I you know the, the argument was you missed this game you know the game culture missed this game we let it go by and and we, we messed up um, but it, it wasn't really I didn't I didn't offer any I don't think great reasons for exactly what was missed so all I did was say that you were wrong to not like it and, and I yeah I, I struggle to to think of why you definitely have to the new order eight the the order eighteen eighty six. Is that a kill screen article? It's like it was, yeah. yeah okay, I remember that. And I, I, um, it, it's not one that I I recall fondly. And I, yeah, I I, I want I you know I I want to arraign game culture and criticism and fandom for. Uh, belittling something like the New Order fuck's sake, belittling <laughs> something like the Order 1886 on the grounds that it's too short, because I think that's that's a stupid hill to take it up and kill it on but I struggle to think of well, the, this is my thing know, the, the big reason my thing is that I think this game is was is largely approached maybe in bad faith you know, which is maybe a mm. strong assertion to make and I, I whatever I've made it so I'll, <laughs> I'll stick with it but I, I think there are things going on here where I think sometimes you look at these like sort of like this genre fiction stuff which is you know loud and distracts with you know this game has the steampunk stuff it's you know alternate reality kind of Victorian London where these characters belong to their secret society and you know operate with authority I guess second only to the queen and um are going around and the police answer to them and they're also the knights of the round table who are, you know, for the most part immortal and they are fighting secret, you know, monsters that stalk London uh, or Europe. Um, and I, th- I think all of that stuff, uh, below that, there is also, if you ask me to describe what this game is about, and I think if you approach genre fiction in good faith and say, well, what is it doing below these things that are distractingly loud um, and, you, and you try to say well does it have something else going on beneath it and this story is essentially about a man who enforces the will blindly patriotically of British imperialism sort of opening his eyes to the fact that that's a horrible thing to do you know as the year is about as, as, as the century is about to change you know, the century that is the downfall of the British Empire. I think it's no accident that you have things like one of your main characters is Lafayette, you know, the hero of the French and American revolutions, and that the person who awakens him to, like, taking part in this uh, anti-government rebellion that's a huge plot point in the game is an Indian woman who is very much not 
you know, a typical Victorian English woman, and she is very much not the typical uh, colonial Indian woman either. She's she's standing up for things, and she she wants to topple this this shit. And you know, here you have this agent of authority who people cower when they're walking around, and they come, and you know, people run and they shut their doors when they're walking around, and and they're going and and essentially trying to enforce the status quo and burn away everything that's evil which is revealed to be coming from the government itself you know I, I i think that stuff's inescapable it's there and it's big and i think the game you know it, it's not necessarily some incredible novel point to say that the british empire was bad to many many mm-hmm. people and that especially victorian britain was horrible for you know women and for you know the the working poor as you see in this game a lot. Um, I, I don't think those are novel points, but I think they're interesting. You know, and I, I think the way the game, the the uh, sort of the climax of it is all built around the fact that the evil of the British Empire, you know, which is all also forced around the, you know, uh, United East India Company is what they call it in the game. But, you know, immediately makes me think of like the British East India Company. Um, and then the inciting, you know, or not the inciting, but the climax of the game is built around the fact that they're going to export this to the New World, that this is now going to America, which, you know, the British Empire in the 20th century falls and America rises. And I, I, I think all of this stuff, I don't know, see, like, and then I would say all these things about it, and then I'm also thinking, you know, there's the part where all these werewolves run at you and you got to shoot them with your magic gun and then drink mm. your, your blood vampire potion your name is Galahad you know so I I don't but I think those things are there and I think if this was a movie that was you know in theaters as a big summer blockbuster I think you would you would at least you would see that stuff and you would take away from it you would say well it's trying to do this whether it does it well or not or whether that's a great point you know the these these elements of critique are, are successful or not you know you talk about that but they're there and I don't think anyone in games was willing to listen to them you know was willing to say that this stuff is there because it's just entering into it saying it couldn't have anything to say I think that stuff is there as well Uh, there's a a part of the game where you're aboard a zeppelin and the zeppelin crashes oh yeah it it crashes into the crystal palace and destroys the crystal palace now I don't know how well known the crystal palace is outside of the UK the crystal palace in real life was built in Hyde Park which is where it's destroyed in the order 1886 uh, and was later relocated I think to somewhere near Sydenham in London and burned down uh, in the in the 1930s basically the, the crystal palace was first built to stage something called the great exhibition which was big exhibition of technology from the industrial revolution from the british industrial revolution right so what you've basically got with this this huge uh you know uh, ostentatious monument to you know british industrial strength and it it, it burned down um in real life you know as a a a great kind of tribute to the collapse of (laughs) the british global strength um and in the order 1886 is destroyed you know just to hammered home 
some of the things that you mentioned there even further and I, I agree with you I, I, I feel like that treatise if you like on something to do with British imperialism is, is present in the order of 1886 where I perhaps stopped short and probably wouldn't have done a couple of years ago but do at the moment is blaming it being missed exclusively on the gaming press you know I, I, I know that critics typically game players typically uh, are not notorious for their astuteness or perspicacity or tolerance for subtext but if something like the order 1886 goes by without any of that stuff getting into the mainstream reviews I don't know if it's entirely the but, critics fault but nothing goes in I don't want to turn this into some Jeremiah against no you it, know what n n neither do I the only but rejoinder I, I, I would I, say I, the only rejoinder I would have to that is that you could have an Assassin's Creed 3 review or a Mo or let's say Mafia 3 you could have a Mafia 3 review that skirts around the politics of you, it and the subtext you, you, of it you could and neither side this is slightly watery statement but I do think it's authentic I don't think either side in that in that binary is, is blameless critics and developers I think they both oh no something yeah, yeah. wrong here um and if it's if it's if I've already thrown <laughs> under the bus critics by saying that they're immature and, and don't have a very nuanced appreciation for things like undertones and artistic intent and, and can only see things in, in basic and kind of catalogue terms. What I'd say about game developers is that they really bubble wrap everything that they're trying to say. And and, and more than I think is is not excusable, but more than I think is justifiable under the rubrics of metaphor and allegory that there are the, the points yeah. that the order 1886 is trying to make are perhaps there but they are like they're not they're not they're not it's not allegorical in the sense of uh, as, as much as it's just very deeply buried well i don't and i, I it's not it's not like a fault of theirs again it's not a fault mm -hmm. because I, I you know i i like the grand metaphor i i i, I like the the big image that is actually you know, tell, tells you a lot of words, but well, this is I, 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 mm. this is what I was saying about like the genre fiction thing too, and and what I would say is that a lot of these games that I think you're kind of talking about, right, with the the metaphors are buried, or or they're maybe too far or insulated or bubble wrapped or whatever that they're you have to do too much work to get them. They, they may very well be there, but you have to do too much because they don't want it to be up front and center. But I think it's 100% fair. I think a lot of the games that we talk about in that context are the big mainstream games, which are the equivalent of, you know, summer blockbusters. You know, they're they're the, the ones that are made because with millions and millions of dollars spent on them, where you're not going to say, hey, this is a game about, you know, the the evils of the British Empire. You're gonna say, this is a game about this guy shooting werewolves, you know, because that's that's what sells. That's the that's the uh, you know put a guy with a gun on the cover and in the first few minutes talk about how it's it's that. Um, it is also what the game is about. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, it is right. It but it's it's like Jaws is a movie about a giant great white shark killing people. It's about a lot more too. 
Um, and if you know you look at Jaws as being kind of the you know the forefront of how you you make these kind of blockbusters that that are not dumb by any means, but they they get you with the spectacle. They get the broad audience by saying this is about something that lots of people would be interested in. You don't have to worry about the other stuff if you don't want to. You know, I, I think a lot of games follow that mold, probably just because they're very expensive propositions, right? Um, it, it's not necessarily a good thing, but mm. I think it's like a necessary evil with a lot of a lot of stuff that's intended to sell so much, you know. So I I don't know if I'd fault it for being kind of buried. I I think it's a it's there about as clearly as you could want it. Or, or, or could I, imagine it being in this case. I'm not faulting it. I, I'm not saying that they, the game should be one way. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was saying before. I feel like blame lies on in, in both camps. Blame maybe being again like too too judgmental a word. I don't think it's a fault of the new of <laughs> <laughs> the new order. Wolfenstein the new order. Wolf. I don't think it's a fault of the Order 1886. Werewolf instead. That it is <laughs> nice. <laughs> that it's so so firmly behind metaphor, imagery, and kind of justifiable didactic in the you know, in the kind of justifiable homicide sense. Um I don't think it's a fault. I also don't think it's exactly a fault of game reviews that miss that stuff I feel like there's something bigger and more encompassing and general in gaming culture that makes both of these things happen but do you say say you weren't you weren't going to touch on it at all and I, I think this this is very much about reviews and, and so forth but it's also about just playing this game in general I don't know how you could play this game and not notice when there's you know, central characters are crowds on the street who are burning Queen Victoria in effigy in slums of London, you know, and then there's uh, there's this grand airship that crashes and it's the fucking Titanic replicated where they're saying, you know, the, the rich get on the lifeboats first, you know, where you have all these different things that are, you know... Uh, where where one of your your main villain character is the British East India Company, how can like what more can you do to say look at this is where we're leading you, this is what we want you to think about, you know what I mean, like mm. I I don't, and and that's what I kind of mean about the bad faith like. I think you you start this game and say why is it set in Victorian, London, why is it the Order eighteen eighty six why is it that year that specific year. You know, why, why are the handful of characters in this game these same characters? Uh, these these characters that we talked about the the Indian woman who's essentially a reincarnation or or an immortal whatever version of of you know famous Indian queen. Why do you have the Marquis de Lafayette? Why do you have you know eternal members of the Knights of the Round Table? You know the soul of of mythological England why are they the main characters it's just why do you have all this stuff mm. like I, I just think it's it's 
if you're not willing to say what does any of that mean then you're just looking at everything as just a collection of parts mm. uh, just of utter meaninglessness you know of saying that I'm going to play a game and all it can be is good shooting or bad shooting mm. looks good or doesn't look good that, that that's what I mean by that stuff in terms of like if you don't think it's important or well done sure but it's there and to not even touch on it mm. to me is like that's what I mean by like I, I find that stuff like really like, <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my mind sometimes with like do you feel like there would be some really getting down this rabbit hole now ah, whatever. Some, crit- some critics or writers who would notice that stuff but not mention it in their writing for fear of, of, of losing some sort of credibility you mean because it's less important or something? Not because it's, it's less important, just because if you start to... It's still probably the case that if you start talking about politics and social climates and, and big, not even big, just the themes in video games, then there's a contingent of the culture that considers you a phony and... Uh, propagandist well um, if I think you're if, doing it for other reasons I think if I think, that would li- I think if it, any serious writer balks at that concept then then they've lost you know and and I, I'm, I'm not I, 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 I don't know if it's it's bulking at it because they're worried about being accused of it or whether they they feel it even themselves they, they, they feel like if you talk about this stuff then you're well that's what I mean you're you're, you're, you're joining some sort of camp you're 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 becoming a certain type of game reviewer it's like you're ascribing to something well that's about this stuff that's what i mean it's by saying they've lost i mean that these other people have won that they've won the culture it's theirs you know forever it's it's when you get to the point where if if you're if you're closing off certain elements of of your thought process when you're when you're engaging with something with a video game uh unconsciously or consciously um in any way then it's over Every game can just be just a game. It can be it can go back to just saying it's all just products. I think if if you've shut off that that part, and mm. for me, for my priorities, that means it's over. <laughs> you know, it, it means I I don't care anymore. Um, mm. But I don't. Maybe I'm cynical. I don't think that's the deal. I think also this is maybe something to consider too. Still talking about the game, still talking about kind of reviews and everything too, is if you play this game and you really don't like it for a lot of reasons, you know, you're, you're saying, I, I, you know, there's some stealth sections that are bad, okay? And, and you, you're really upset about that. You're upset because it doesn't seem to follow through on uh, some of the plot points that, you know, it looks like it's it's setting up at the beginning and so all this stuff kind of disappoints you and you just don't like it you finish the game you don't like it that's completely fair i can 100 percent see lots of people just not liking what this game is and then rather than try to engage with what maybe is interesting in it you start from the end of saying i don't like this game here's why let me work from that angle forward does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. essentially saying, well, listen, the shooting sucks. Uh, this climbing stuff is bad. Blah, blah, blah. 
I feel like I'm boxed in all the time. So then you're you're writing from that point forward, and you're not going to say, to be fair, or you know what's interesting. Like I I still think that's not great writing if you go that route, but maybe that explains some of it. Mm. I don't know. What what did I do to you? <laughs> I it's not that I I agree with you and I I, I think about this as well, but I, there's something about it that just doesn't quite. It's like a contact lens that's just kind of off center. I no. I think it's the I I don't know I don't know because. Everything I feel like I'm going to say, it's all like positing. It's it, I, it, I don't want to say it in a tone of voice or, or it, it, with words and make it sound like an answer because I really don't have answers to this stuff. But I think where some of my discomfort comes from, as much as I could counter argue what I'm about to say myself, is the assumed kind of hierarchy of quality. Mm. that mm-hmm. the game talking about or, or representing or arguing something about British colonialism is somehow more worthy of words than talking about like a, a, a brilliantly staged gunfight or a brilliantly staged knife battle uh, that this game has several now I, I do feel like there is something intrinsically not necessarily more valuable but impressive or or considerate, or that takes a, a, a another level of skill to be able to inject some kind of politics or, or historical context into an action game in the way that the Order eighteen eighty six does. But at the same time, I, I can't help but feeling like there's a level of sanctimony in saying that any review that only talks about the action and really does focus very, very much on the action is like a lesser review. Or any any response that only talks mm-hmm. about the action is like a lesser response. But then again, you know, on the contrary, once more, if I was talking to somebody about... Let me just look on my shelf here. If I was talking to somebody about, you know, for example, Kane and Lynch 2, which I think is a game with, with a lot of sort of thematic weight, and I was talking to them and all they were telling me was how much they loved the gunfights. I think, well... That's a very simple response to the game. I, I I'd struggle to take it seriously, but again, on the contrary, I I I feel a little um, disappointed in myself for thinking that because I also myself love a good gunfight and like that kind of base aesthetic quality in something like Kane and Lynch too. So I I, I get wrapped up in, in basically not knowing what's to, what's worth talking about most. And no, I know what you mean. I the the dream review is one that that talks about everything. Yeah, you know, the dream yeah. response is one that, that is 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 that considers these things complementary of one another and symbiotic of one another. Well, exactly, exactly perpetuated by one another. That that's what um, that's what I think a a good game review is. I think it's something that doesn't see a divide between you know thematic worth and and you know it will will come to a point where <laughs> I've thought about this about a game that I find absolutely ideologically reprehensible that's also really really good just to play you know it just feels really good to play and it is beautifully choreographed choreographed and uh choreographed is the wrong word but uh you know 
provides all the right pieces for really great, you know, action set, uh, action sequences and things like that. And then you had to square a little bit more, uh, despising one aspect and, and thinking another is really mm. great. But I, I think in games, the, you would end up maybe feeling that that game is like somewhere in the middle because those two things mm-hmm. would kind of like you know be oil and water together I think but I know what you mean but also I haven't seen a lot of good writing about <laughs> the quarter 1886 just like as a no as an aesthetic property uh, as no. as a in in like imagistic terms in in visual terms uh, no neither have I no because the stuff um, would be you know the gun fights are repetitive the graphics are really good which is not enough to to no, just be engaging with one aspect of it because you're right it is sanctimonious to say that that you know not engaging with with the themes of it is is a failure I don't know whatever but I, I don't know I don't necessarily feel that in my gut though I, I, I you know I, I, I do I have a foot in in what I'm going to call your camp where if if you play this game and you miss that stuff then, then I, I wonder which screen you were looking at but yeah again I'm, I'm, uh, on the other on the other hand I um, I don't know I, I feel guilty about thinking that it's, it's really difficult it's difficult no. at the moment to, to feel like there's one kind of single direction down which and game criticism needs to go and I try to be open-minded. I think, really, at the end of the day, if there was just really top-notch writing, in, in mm. which also, of course, is, you know, a very difficult thing to quantify or to, uh, you know, assess, because that's different for other people. But I think if there was just really solid, great writing in, in all different, mm. you know, approaching games in all different ways, then you would really have a... a, a, a better fight to have over sort mm. of you know what what critical school do you belong to do you support that you want to see more of and i think often right now it's <clears throat> if someone writes you know really really beautifully on on how a game feels to play uh and and doesn't say anything about you know doesn't even mention anything about its storytelling i i think that's maybe a bit unbalanced but i also want to read that you know, yeah. but that I don't think I don't think we have enough to say that. I think when it's it's mainly that we're, we're still dealing with the hangover of the product review shit, which maybe should mm. exist on its own, but mm. has sort of like infected everything else. Mm. That's kind of how I feel. All right, let's let's. I suppose we should move on from this stuff. I think I looked um, at the timestamp and it was like ten minutes in when you said something yeah. about like maybe we shouldn't talk about the reviews. <laughs> Yeah, and here we are. Um, 15 minutes to go. One thing I want to say about this game, uh, you know, you mentioned the um, the, the, the the stuff. I, I can never think of a better word than like treatise, didactic, polemic, essay stuff on British colonial and imperialism. Uh, I don't think that's the only aspect of kind of a, a British identity or a London identity that this game represents or explores or, or, or brings to bear or, or mm-hmm. ha- has a sense of 
Um, there's a lot of a different kind of Britishness, a, a, a more an easier to enjoy Britishness, a more celebratory Britishness, Britishness in the order 1886, and that's one of the reasons I do like it. I, I, I think I said to you in private, when you're in, do you, is it Westminster Abbey? It's no, they just refer to it as Westminster, which is a okay part of London, right? Yeah, I I think you do go into into the Abbey itself, but basically they're in the catacombs, like the prison and stuff, is the catacombs beneath the Abbey. So I I, I thought that I thought there was one scene where the Order, the the titular Order, has its um like the Round Table summons. Yeah, it has its meeting in in Westminster. Anyway, there are sections of this game spent in grand old English buildings, grand old heritage London architecture and I, I've toured some of those buildings myself and the, I, I can't quite I don't really have time I don't think in this episode now to pinpoint exactly how they do it but the smell of those places you, you really get it in this game they, they've, really, they've really found something they've really got their finger on what it means to sort of stand in one of those places yeah. and look up yeah I made. I, uh, there's a cathedral in Liverpool. It's the um, the Protestant cathedral, I think. And this entire game almost made me feel like I was standing back in there. It's it's a it's very evocative of of some kind of British interiors, if you like. And the other thing is that I personally, as as uh, uh, an English an Englishman, <laughs> um, I'm familiar very much with the the, the English national pride. Uh, the English sort of stereotype, the honour system and the civility and the <laughs> broad shoulders kind of deal. Um, you know, that, that that more palatable side of the of the English identity. And I think this game has some of that as well. I think Galahad is a quite an English hero, the way he speaks and his, his moustache and his outfit. Oh his and just his, the set of his jaw. You yeah, know, you know the, his, the way his, he his speaks gallantry. Yeah, he's he's tough, but he's uh, he's like uh, ju- respectable, judicial, maybe if that he's, makes sense. He's to judici- you. Yes, he's judicial. He's tough. He's respectable. He's refined. Uh, he's James Bond. There's there's a, there's an element yes. of Bond, I think, in in Galahad. You know, there's a. He, he... Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say the one thing is like when he talks to City Grain, who is his partner, right? Um, yeah, and he he kind of relaxes some of it. He's still very stern and everything, but he you know, makes his little asides, his little joking asides that he would never mm. in any other circumstance, which I I think ties into that bondness and that kind of like mm. uh, British cool. Um... Anyway, sorry, interrupted you. And some of the villain characters, some of the upper echelons of the order or the outright antagonists, are these wonderful British aristocrat, uh, aristocrats who you know you can never trust anyway and as a as an English person uh, you are kind of raised to not trust and to, and to regard as, as vaguely risible the, the life of the aristocracy is always scandalous and salacious and just waiting to be sort of dragged into the sunlight where you can laugh at it because they're all embroiled in sex scandals and in this game you've got these aristocrats aristocrats the aristocrats the, the, the Disney film uh, you've got these aristocrats who are you know scandalous and salacious because they're vampires and this is there's a kind of good old fashioned like yeah. English newspaper tabloid element to it you feel yeah. it's like a paparazzi when you go into the houses of the London's 
wealthy and and exclusive and unearth their dirty pervy little secrets well and there's something about that that's very kind of 1960s um david bailey british uh well the climax of so, that too is you you go and 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 here's uh what's his face grand aristocrat who's uh things hey he turns out he's jack the ripper but it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally right. Yeah, so the, yeah, he's going around is, drinking a, the blood of these women. You there's know? a kind of there's an element of the 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 English or the British class system. You know, those at the top being the the, the rich and the and the scandalous and the the illicit, but they are the ones also with all the power. Um, yeah, there's 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 a lot of I don't know how to what the what the one word maybe is for it, but the, there is some there's, there's quite a British sense of humour. It, it, you know, it's not a game that wears a smile. It's it's quite serious. It's quite earnest, but there's something quite gleeful also in mm. uh, you know learning that this aristocrat is a devious, horrible bastard. Um, well, and you yeah. you wonder what they're you know you uh, you're seeing all the stuff all along the way of of uh, the poor, you know, in the very historical sense of their they don't have opportunities. You know they're financially downtrodden. They've been abused mm. by uh, these systems, and then it turns out that the people that they are uh, very angry with, who have been oppressing them, turn out to be literal vampires. You know, mm. and and then I I, <clears throat> I think that's funny and neat, and whatever that you know Jack the Ripper. Who was Jack the Ripper? He was going around killing. Uh, he was killing sex workers and. You know the the marginalized the the most marginalized members of society in Victorian England, going around killing them. And in this version, he's literally just drinking their blood. You know, he's he's yeah. drinking their life blood away from them. And I I don't know. I think that stuff is. I I know what you mean about it being sort of like, kind of like, I don't know, very exceptionally dry humor. I would say. Yeah. Uh-oh. It reminds me of um, it's a film. Uh, it's sometimes called Deathline, but I think it was released in America as Raw Meat, and it's this 1972 film based and set in London, starring Donald Pleasance, i.e., <laughs> Blofeld from You Only Live Twice, and yeah, it's uh, it's about this this family of cannibals that live in the London underground and eat commuters, and it's it's that kind of there's a like you say you know with the, with the Jack the Ripper thing there's a there's a look at the look at the underbelly look at the nasty things that go on in any city um, look at the, the the way that rich and poor status etc divides people and, and messes with them and by doing it so exaggeratedly and, and making it so arch it does become funny it, you know it's a it's one of those topics that is, is, is serious and has quite a lot of real world implications but when the order does it so grandiosely it, it becomes funny yeah parody parody is the word I'm looking for satire parody um, well yeah and- I, I, I think it's a it's a good it's a big good parody of kind of like inner city London life and, and maybe like inner city life of a lot of places well there 
there's also a moment too that or a scene in particular which I think they could have I wonder if there was any way to play it up or to play up something surrounding it where um, Lafayette is knighted you know he becomes a member of the round table because one of the other Percival or something uh, dies and so mm-hmm. in the game when one of the one of the knights dies another one can be inducted and so Lafayette is he has some knight name after one of the one of the uh, knights of the round table's names that I, I can't remember I just always think of him as Lafayette but he gets knighted and you see the process by which these immortal knights who when they're wounded or anything they drink from these little vials these little flasks that they carry around their neck and you they call it what they call it the black water or something mm. um, and then you see when Lafayette's knighted that the process by which they make this is they have the holy grail and they cut themselves right and they, they put a little bit of their blood into the water and then they fill their vial from it so they're drinking this you know diluted or grail water slash blood and so they're consistently drinking bits of their own blood to keep themselves strong so mm. you get this thing where essentially they're determined to you know fight the vampires and to fight this evil these monsters and they themselves are these kind of like comically oblivious monsters, right? Like they're mm, just mm. constantly just drinking their own blood. They're these, they're these like inbred, immortal, just oblivious authoritarian shitheads who, yeah, you know. And, and I, I think that stuff's great. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's appealing it's like to me. Cla- to me, yeah, it is appealing. To me, it's 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 the classic conservative newspaper scandal. Uh, <laughs> when I think of you know the the sort of authoritarian schoolmaster mistress types, it's always high level conservative politicians uh, in this country, and especially in the eighties and nineties, they were notorious for sleaze scandals, like it's one after another. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Jeffrey Archer. A, a prominent conservative politician sleeping with prostitutes and fostering a love child and uh, no he, he wasn't a love child <laughs> prostitute, perjury and then accepting bribes to ask questions or something in the house no that was Neil Hamilton, see what I mean, you get lost there are so many conservative uh, sex scandals and sleaze scandals yeah. but that, that's what the order kind of uh, brings up for me um, and the, what was the other thing you said yeah, the, the the fact that they that they're, they're hypocrites almost, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they're the ones like telling the poor how to behave, but they themselves behind closed doors are behaving kind of outlandishly. It's it. I find it amusing. You know, I I I, I struggle to get like uh, um, oratory about it and start saying you know this is about and talking about it in a, in quite a straight faced way because I I find it funny. Um, I feel like I'm getting a little bit confused, but I, I no, 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 it's there is there is something kind of there's like a uniquely to me a uniquely British kind of tabloidy feel with how the order treats its respectable apparently kind of social characters. Yeah, uh, there's there's something that we don't have as much of here too, but you know, unfortunately, we have some of the you know the sun exists in Canada as well is probably the closest. Um, modeled after a, a British conservative tabloid 
and and has that that thing of sort of knives out for everyone you know espe- yeah. especially the poor and non-white non-christian and non-male but they also have the knives out for their own when something bad happens mm. you know if if someone's caught smoking crack or uh you know someone has a hidden camera video of them with uh in a rented motel room with a bunch of cocaine um you know they they love it there's this like just real ghoulishness this jump all over it it's just it's this uh and and i've always thought of that as being just you know that that mm, i don't want to say there's there's something british about that there's something british about that distinct phenomena of of that mm-hmm. of that the what the shape that takes in in sort of conservative papers there's also something that feels very british about the we're maybe making jokes like to me from British literature of, of we're making some jokes here, but they're, they're a little bit behind the curtain or, or they're, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm going far afield here, but yeah, I like it. I don't know. And, and you know, you, some of the stuff, the British stuff that's here in Canada, like, you know, our, our parliament building, the building itself is not like this, but when you go into, uh, areas of it and you have that same kind of like wooden paneling and stuff that you see in this game that you see in in British uh, government buildings and museums and stuff and and all of it just right away just evokes evokes that place kind of you know mm-hmm. I, I can't talk too much about any of this stuff because obviously I'm not not British I don't live in Britain but there are things that as a Canadian where you see certain aspects of of you know, us trying to emulate the the motherland um, that calls to mind that stuff and it makes me think of Britishness. We've only got a few minutes left. Uh, in terms of that, in terms of that kind of British aesthetic, I try and think of some of the other games that are set in this country. And the first one that comes to mind, and I, I, I don't bring it up because I want to like rag on it, but everybody's gone to the Rapture set in Britain and it's set in a British village slash market town. And to me, as somebody who who has grown up in British villages slash market towns, that felt like quite a false place. Mm-hmm. It felt uh, not just artificial, but I think designed almost for the benefit of people outside of Britain. It was idyllic and sort of um, uh, kowtowed almost to a, 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 an image of Britain that exists more in other countries than it does actually in Britain itself. The Order 1886 is, is much larger than life, probably, than... I mean, everybody's gone to Rapture is saying, like, after the end of the world and there are ghosts, but it feels like it's, you know, at its heart trying to be a sort of human drama and a kind of soap opera. The Order 1886 is, is a big kind of gadget and gore and monster fest. So in a sense, it feels quite larger than life compared to everybody's gone to Rapture. But it, it's Britain felt truer, even though it was set, you know, 150 years ago. It felt truer. Um, I don't know, again, I, I can't quite put my finger on what it is. The, it's the smells, it's the colours... It's the, the the clash of rich and poor in very very close proximity. You cross a street in London, uh, and you're going from houses that cost, you know, seven million pounds to half a million. You know, it, it's a very compressed city. It's a city where where rich and poor live really really close to one another, and I suppose you you get a sense of that in the order. And it's also a very cramped city. It's a, it's a city that's that's quite small. It's the, the population is something like eight million. Um, but it's, it's something like less than half the size of Los Angeles, if that. Mm. And 
yeah, uh, th- those sections in the order eighteen eighty six, particularly where you're walking through the East End of London, and it's very kind of becomes very sort of close in on your shoulders, and you know buildings either side of you. That that felt very very London to me, or very Britain almost. Um, so th- th- if we're trying to put our fingers on on exactly where that aesthetic lives, I'd say that those things are well, I'm, specific to it. Yeah, and I mentioned to you before I thought you know just having spent a few weeks in in the UK and Ireland, but the the damp the damp was the most yeah. evocative thing to me. Of well, it's not like it's it's not, Ma- Oh, sorry. I was going to say, do you remember Matthew 3, where you, do, I, I felt like I got a sense of, of New Orleans humidity? Yeah. I don't know what it was. There was something in that game. I think it was the fact that there were always like puddles on the ground, small puddles on the ground it, in the street. It's the same kind of thing in, in this as well. It's not raining all the time, but it's always no. it's always just it's that... Right. that yeah. <laughs> and, and this game mm. takes place in, in the fall, right? So, you know, it's... You get a sense that it's colder because the characters are wearing their jackets and stuff, and well, their jackets, whatever their their uniforms are jackets, and in Mafia, you know, the characters are. I think, you know, Lincoln's wearing his uh, white shirt, which always seems to be a little bit stuck to his skin. You know, mm. it makes you want to yell at him to take his army jacket off because it's yeah, you know, it's too humid for this. Too like, hot. come on, man. Mm. Um, and it's that same thing in in both those games. It does rain in both those games, but it always feels, it always feels just damp and mm. yeah that's I mean that's one thing I immediately think of when I think of Britain even on a nice uh, cool day that were that was uh, you know sunshiny and everything it still felt slightly just a damp feeling country <laughs> moist yeah uh, okay let's, let's rattle off two last quick things one what did you think of the violence I thought it was of the, of, uh, of the shooting I thought it was great maybe best in the in the sort of cutscenes, though, there's a part early on where he breaks a man's arm, where I winced, I was wincing, which I think is a good test of does this actually pack a punch. I think there's some things that are done in this game, and you talk about Bond as well. Uh, he does some things where it's this very, this restrained fury, this like professional, you know, I'm trained to to murder people, not in the usual video game sense of this cavalier kind of thing, but where he just inflicts horrible violence on people uh, purely to accomplish something very utilitarian. He's getting out of this prison, this guy, you know. Or he tortures this one guy, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. At one point, and that's pretty grim, too. You know, makes him promise to to tell him where someone is and just shoots him in the face after, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it should be, man. Like, this game, this game is way into the... You know, it, it's got, it outdoes fucking Tony Soprano for breathing sounds. This game constantly you're listening to, just like, in between yeah. everything. It's very, like, all the cutscenes are very, uh, it feels like the microphone's shoved up right against their faces. Yeah. Uh, it, it all, I don't know, it's got a good sense of weight to it. And, and the violence, I think, is fitting with that. I really like the knife fights with the, with the werewolves one-on-one. Oh yeah, I, I thought they were great. Uh, they're 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 physical and they're slow and arduous and and tense and they, no pun intended, feel like they're on a knife edge, and uh, it, it is credit to the writing, which isn't always spectacular in this game. I I 
the Nikola Tesla thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, I fucking ha- that's that was the other thing I was going to bring up. Yeah, right. Get to that in a second. Basically, the writing isn't always brilliant, but I did get a sense of like Galahad really wants to fucking kill this werewolf. He really wants to kill. It. It's really important that he kill this werewolf, uh, and this werewolf is is really trying to kill him as well. There, there was a great sense of. Comp- uh, competition. I wish there were and stakes in those little knife fights. On that point, I wish there were no, or or maybe just one or two of those parts where the werewolves run at you, and, and yeah. you have to kind of back into a corner because that, when he has the knife fights with them, it's it's uh, you know whatever you do that a few times it's kind of repetitive, but it's uh, it it, it gives a sense that if you fuck up too much, like these things are actually capable of murdering him very easily, and that's why they're scary. Yeah. The other ones is just you just gotta have a full clip and spot them quick enough, you know. And he just runs over and just kind of jabs them, and then they turn to a human and die. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like the the knife fight ones. I think are actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. They, they. I like when they 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 sort of the fact that they they bring all of the game's drama down into this one scene between two quote people. Um, it all boils down to these knife fights between you and a werewolf. The, yeah, the the, the, Nik- <laughs> the Nikola Tesla thing. I, I find that stuff very condescending. Assassin's Creed is terrible for it. Assassin's Creed is really terrible for it. When they do these little cutscenes, the, like there's that fucking one, man, in Assassin's Creed 2. There's two in Assassin's Creed 2 that really, really, really irk me. The first is like early in the game, where you're walking through Florence with your mother and she's saying like oh yeah I want to get my study de- redecorated there's this local artist I can talk to who says he might be interested and, you know she's talking to him like as if he's some innocuous just, just young kid from nearby and then you get there and your mother goes uh, 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 Ezio so this is uh, what was your name again oh yeah Leonardo da Vinci <laughs> and, like, and it, the game seems to assume that we're all going to go oh what <laughs> oh man Oh, Da Vinci. Yeah, I know him. So that's that's the first one. And then the other one is when you go back to see Leonardo Da Vinci and the entire scene, the entire scene, right? Uh, you come in because he's made some kind of assassin gadget and you come in and uh, he's painting something. And the entire scene is shot from like, one or two angles, basically obscuring the canvas. So is he like painting the Mona Lisa or something? And then, like, right at the end of the scene, or or some point in the scene, he says, "Like, oh yeah, I've been working on this one a while. Oh, I just can't quite get the mouth." Oh. And then the camera like goes around, and boom, it's the Mona Lisa. And again, these the people who have written this expect <laughs> you to be fooled. And to go like, oh, jeez. Oh, wow. Yeah, that guy. I know all about that guy. The, like, the second person you meet in Assassin's Creed 3 when you get off the boat in the New World is Benjamin Franklin. You get off the boat, and there's the guy who comes to meet you off the boat, and then Benjamin Franklin. And I swear he's walking around and talking like, going, oh, yeah, if I could just... Hmm, maybe if I tie a kite to the key... And then that, you know what I mean. It's, that that it's, stuff really came home to roost, I think, for a lot of Americans when they played Assassin's Creed Three, and then they really realized that these games have been this all along because they all along. because they really, you know, those characters they really know those historical figures, right? And it's it's the fact that the games seem to expect you to be thrilled I, uh, uh, and surprised and shocked. You're, you're gonna and you're gonna hate this. 
I, oh. I don't mind it. It's fine. I don't expect it. How, the tone, how, the tone allows it. I think it's it's just so it's so token though, it's, and so one hundred percent, and so blatant, and so. What I'll say is so it's oh it's it, I've got one more thing. It's it's pretentious. I think it's pretentious. Eh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I I, th- I, I think would, it, I, I think I think it's winking, and whether or not you you want it to wink at you is is up to you. You know, I, I think it's. Well, what's uh, it trying to? What's it trying to say? Like, oh yeah, you've heard of the most famous historical figure. Yeah. Because it wants you to be impressed. It's like, oh, we fooled you. You thought he was just an artist, but ha, he's Leonardo but da Vinci. But I think even more in the terms of like, you know, like in Tesla in this game being like, oh, I have like a little experiment about electricity, and you're like, oh yeah, I know that. <laughs> Like, yeah, I've great. It's yeah, it's like it borders on this kind of Joss Whedon postmodern. I I recognize that as well. I I won't okay. Yeah. I won't defend it too far because I I think you can maybe say the same stuff tomorrow and I'd be like, yeah, it's the absolute fucking worst. But sometimes cheap in Assassin's Creed, I feel like those games are to an extent sort of theme parks, right? And because they're open world and stuff, I think you. <laughs> <laughs> that excuses everything um because they're open world and i think they historical fiction can get away a lot of times with with throwing in famous figures because saying that these are important people to the times you know these are these are people that maybe you should see you know i think in in the french revolution one yeah like you want to see danton and you want to see robespierre and you want to see uh maybe you don't need to see napoleon though maybe you can save that for later you know um Mm. I, I think you want to see a few of these people, but I think there's a way to do it with maybe a bit more tact. I think the Assassin's Creed, like the Italy ones, or the Italy one, and then uh, Christ, where else do those ones take place? Anyway, whatever. Um, oh, there's one in in Turkey, right, in Istanbul. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like those games they had this tone to them that was, ah, come on, guys, we're here. We're this is just like a theme park. We're having a good time. Of course, you know, Machiavelli is an assassin, and you're going to hang out with him. And, of course, Da Vinci is your gadget guy. I feel like there was, tonally, it was appropriate because those games felt like they were hardly taking themselves seriously. And, and, you know, to almost any any degree. Um, But I think in the order, it's, they walked a fine line and they went over with the Tesla stuff. You know, I I think Lafayette is, is fine. I think Hastings is probably fine. The Jack the Ripper thing is probably okay because it's so uh, it's so goofy. That one. I mean, it happens so late uh, that it's like whatever. Who cares? I don't mind these characters being present. It, it, it's always just the way that they're introduced. It's always the sort of gotcha moment that bothers that. that <laughs> bothers means far too big a word. It just makes me go, "Oh fuck off!" Like, out loud, <laughs> every time I have the same result, I go, "Oh fuck off." Like in Assassin's Creed Syndicate, where it's like oh, that one's. I think that one's maybe the worst offender for this stuff, though, that I can think of. <laughs> well, you're riding around with him for about twenty minutes. Oh yeah, this. Uh, with who? I forget his name. Uh, Mark. He'll, 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 he'll Darwin. He'll take you. He'll 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 take you around London in his horse and carriage. I forget his name. Everyone's in there, man. Uh, and then he drops you off, and you go like um, John Assassin. And he goes, ah, 
Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> <laughs> For fuck's sake. Listen, I liked I liked that one because I'm Canadian and we claim him as our own. So right. it felt like I finally was seeing a Canadian represented in a video game, which made me happy. But um, no, that, that was funny because you're talking about it, and I'm thinking, well, which one is it? Is it? Yeah, and they do it a lot. I think, I think I talked to you about this at one point before, but I have maybe more tolerance for a lot of aspects of Assassin's Creed than than sometimes I should. Um, mm. I'll criticize them. There are things I, I really love about those games, though. So I usually, even if I don't want to, end up playing them. Um, but the end of Syndicate, which I felt like was almost like was almost like just a child covering its ears and screaming that it didn't want to say anything yeah, have any opinion right. about what Victorian London is uh, at the end okay here we go you have to meet one last assassin and then who comes out but oh it's Queen Victoria mm-hmm. and the game has no opinion on who she is as a historical figure no, one of the most an assassin. you know of, of the last 500 years one of the most influential <laughs> You know, monarchs, uh, yeah. someone who transformed the modern world, who transformed our views of anyway, a million different things. Nope, my, she's my problem with it. she's essentially interchangeable with like Queen Elizabeth II. She's just a queen, an old lady. I think my problem with it with Assassin's Creed is that sometimes Assassin's Creed proffers a worm's eye view of history. We're going to put you right in the middle of it, and it gives yeah. you all of these kind of scholarly written literally written entries on the local history and what was happening here and the demographics and at the same time it gives you what you were saying before the theme park the, the sort of animatronics of all these famous people uh, you know you go up to the Benjamin Franklin character and it's almost as if you're kind of pushing your button on his chest mm-hmm. to learn about his life and it feels very false and mm-hmm. very toward um, and like you say when in one sense we were meant to be having this up close and personal you were actually there tour of history and then in another sense we've got you know really the, the, these big abstractions like Da Vinci is yeah, your right. engineer yeah, yeah. and Machiavelli is your assassin there's a clash and but again that doesn't that doesn't wind me up as much as just the introduction it's just the way that the game and the writers are going got ya <laughs> well, I think surprise, like they expect you to be really pleased by it. Well, that's like the Queen Victoria uh, thing, right? It's like, oh, we're coming up to yeah, Buckingham yeah. Palace now. There's like one last assassin you must meet. One last assassin, and then like, oh, who could it be? <laughs> who could it be inside Buckingham Palace? <laughs> who lives there? <laughs> <laughs> it's a servant. It's just some guy. Yeah, it's just yeah. It's a uh, yeah. It's, it's the bread. Richard. The bread maker is coming out. <laughs> There's one last assassin you should meet, and like Victoria comes out, and everyone goes, oh, and she just goes, "Sorry, what are you doing here?" And then she just goes out again, and then this other guy just comes and goes, "Yeah, this is Richard, the assassin." He's like wiping his hands on his apron. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I'm, exactly. Yeah, hi, I'm, I'm the, the assassin. Yeah. The leader of the assassins here in London. <laughs> oh, we thought it was Victoria. Oh, no, 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 she's the queen. <laughs> she's got, she's doing a lot of other stuff <laughs> that I have no opinion of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's doing a lot of other stuff. Don't know what it is though. <laughs> All I Credits. know is she's important. Anyway. Uh, anyway, we. Anyway, we've uh, gone well, I guess this episode we really have. That's my last point. Is of the two games set in uh, Victorian London that mm. from 2015, the order is the better. Uh, 
the better of the two. Shit, was Syndicate, was Syndicate 2015? It must, because they took a year off, and now we're going to Egypt, baby. Rap. Strap oh, in. Strap in, rap in. Strap in. Every time they announce the new location for an Assassin's Creed game, I want my, like, rap air horn. You know, we're going to Egypt this year. Wow, 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 wow. Well, we have a show. We can make that happen. <laughs> we should. We should have that in. Live. No, but I, I, want it, I want it when they announce it, like, at E3. Yeah. Like, this year, this year we're going to... Um, Baku motherfuckers yeah yeah I want I want to go to Egypt so let's wrap this up and and start playing Assassin's Creed I guess because that's what we talked about yeah. for the last 15 minutes <laughs> alright so the order 1886 um yeah yeah. Hey. Yeah. Legitimate seven it's, out of ten. It's short anyway. <laughs> More like seven hours out of ten. Um, no, I, I I enjoy that game. I I like it. I just don't know if it's um you know retrospective worthy. I, I'm kind of happy to have, have played it, talked about it a little bit, and and pretty much leave it there. I would. Yeah, I enjoyed playing it again for the second time I enjoyed it all the way through and I would rather talk about The Order 1886 than many other games that uh, I think are more warmly received Yeah, I, I think it's it, it deserves deserves a look and it's like always on sale for like $5 every month now so yeah. but I don't think it's a benchmark for anything no no I guess the That's, yeah I should have said it at some point but if you like the sort of like that golden age of like PS2 eight hour single player games that just have some weird kind of focused intent on like <laughs> hey we're gonna do this we're gonna yeah. you know I think of like a Prince of Persia Sands of Time or something which could never happen now this is that kind of game I think did you did you like Siphon Filter the Amiga Strain did you like PsyOps, the Mindgate conspiracy? Did you like Kill Switch and Ico and Primal? Then Play. you will love The Order 1886. That's right. Yeah. Okay, well, you can find more of Bullet Points at Bullet Points VG on Twitter or at Bullet Points Monthly or bulletpointspodcast.com. You can find me on Twitter at MostSincerelyEd. Reed, we can find you on Twitter at Reed McCarter. Mm-hmm. Correct. That's correct. Good. And if you are feeling charitable, you can go to patreon.com forward slash bullet points to donate money to this show and to the written half of bullet points also. We will be back in October with actually will this be out in October? Yeah. Always make this mistake, don't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if if you're listening to this in October, then go to bulletpointsmonthly.com because we've got a nice selection of games. Fuck. For- <laughs> Forget it. Look at the website, basically, and we've got articles about horror games this month. That's yeah. what I'm trying first, to say. First yeah. ever uh, variety month? Is that how you put it? Yeah, first ever, th- first ever theme month. Themed month, but um, yeah, on a few different games. That's right. That's right. Okay. Are we done? Ow. Oh, you had to. Just had to. Um, I, I feel like ending... Have you seen American Werewolf in London? Uh, I haven't seen it all the way through. Uh, it, it ends really abruptly and then just goes... Blue Moon. Because it's that song. 
Okay, so, so I won't put it on the end. Do it. Blue moon. <laughs>